an inside look at the restaurant industry and entrepreneurial insight to help you succeed. It's the Paper Trails Podcast with Albemarle Paper Supply. What's up, guys? We are back, and this is Nick Calgaramitros with the Paper Trails Podcast uh, for Albemarle Paper Supply. We are super pumped. We are actually here at a studio, first time here um, at this studio, super pumped about recording, um, and so it's going to be super excited. Like I said, episode seven, uh, back at you, and so we missed a week. Our apologies. We got more things scheduled, and so um, very excited. We have um, actually becoming a good friend of mine. We have David Lucarelli as our guest. Thanks for uh, for coming on, David, and chatting with us, and so super pumped to have you. I know this is only the second time we've met, but um, you know, definitely hit it off the first time, and I had a blast You know, learning about your background and um, you know, restaurants and, you know, opening up restaurants and your travels. And I was like, I mean, literally at the end of our conversation, the conversation went so well. I said, David, I just started a podcast a couple months ago. We have to have you on, you know, your stories, your travels, where you've been, things you've opened up. And so it's been, um, it's been exciting. And so glad to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for asking me. I, I, I've never done a podcast before, but my Brother and sister have several under their belt, so this will be fun to send them. Nice. That's awesome. That is awesome. So I guess we'll just start off, you know, um, tell us about yourself. And, and, and just so you guys know, you know, we are in, in Charlotte. You know, obviously our podcast is about entrepreneurship, food service, um, and just the, the hustle, the grind of making a name for yourself, not only in the food service industry, but um, obviously you can apply these principles in any industry. And you know, um, you know, David has had a lot of success here in Charlotte over the last couple of years with the Sabor, sure. re- Sabor restaurants, yep. Sabor Fusion, How Sabor we- Latin Street Grills, Latin yep. Street Grill, and so um, you have helped open up many, many stores. How many you guys? How many guys have now? We currently have fifteen. Um, wow. Yeah, and two in uh, other states, and then um, really looking to kind of expand into either the Raleigh market or um, a little bit more into South Carolina. And those are in Charlotte-esque? Generally, they're right up and down 77 in Charlotte. So okay. we start at Mooresville and we end in Fort Mill. But in between there, they're they're pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, so like I said, we met, you know, through a mutual friend of ours and, you know, ended up uh, chatting and, you know, just discussing business. You know, we don't we don't work together, um, you know, with the, the, the paper company, but um, we just had an awesome conversation and um, similar backgrounds with you know our parents owning restaurants, yeah. and so um, I guess let's start there. You know, sure. give us give us you know your ba- where are you from? You sure. know, if you guys Lucarelli, that's Italian. If you got yeah. you know Caligari Mitro, so Lucarelli, these are all Italian yeah. names, Greek names, Mediterranean. So give us uh, give us some of your background. I was born in uh, Chicago, Illinois, in a, um, an area called Melrose Park, and Melrose Park, and that at that time in the. Uh, late 60s was a um, really Italian neighborhood, um, and it was um, very ethnic, and it was uh, very family-oriented, and it was all those things, and it was um, a great place to grow up. And, and uh, you know, I, I remember little bits of piece, and pieces about it, but I do remember just a, a, a very interesting sense of community, and, and one that um, I don't see quite as much anymore, uh, and it's it's sad to say, but it but it is the case. And um, so, grew up um, uh, in Chicago, and, and my my father got a job uh, in Cleveland. So we left um, when I was in a third third grade, I believe, uh, and moved to Cleveland, Ohio. And and of course, Cleveland at that time was 
um, sort of the the dying Rust Belt story. Uh, and my father worked in in restaurants that were uh, owned by a, a great guy that uh, you know one of his mentors I, mentors I think and and um, and so. Uh, you know, kind of grew up there and, and had a, um, it was a little bit more of a, of a suburban lifestyle than it was urban in, in Chicago. Sure. And so then, so like, the, you know, so then your dad moved to Cleveland, got into the, the restaurants? How, how did? Yeah, so he was in the restaurant business and um, I would, uh, you know, routinely go and um, go to work with dad and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it was, a, I think it was a different time then, but um, they, they, he employed me as a as a host early on, so I'd you know have a little suit coat on and I'd um, take people to the tables and um, you know give them their menus and nice. everybody thought that was just the greatest thing. And so was um, it fine dining? It was fine dining. Yeah, okay. um, it was old you know uh, kind of old steakhouse um, you know pewter plates for the uh, salad bar, the chilled you know that that whole thing and. Um, uh, and it, it was, it was great. And, and, you know, from that point on, I was, I think I was kind of hooked in the restaurant business. I know. I, I definitely get it. You know, we were talking just off, off camera about, um, the same exact thing. I remember very young, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, you know, we would, you know, hang out in the office for as long as we could playing tic-tac-toe with my younger brother or doing whatever we could. And then my dad needed some help. I would wrap baked potatoes or, you know, make drinks for the waitresses or, you know, I would just go around and take pictures off. I remember when my dad opened up, I think maybe his, I don't remember, maybe his fourth or fifth restaurant, you know, down in um, Spartanburg, South Carolina. And to get it started, you know, we I remember leaving school at 3 o'clock on Friday, driving a couple hours away from, you know, we lived just north of Charlotte, down to Spartanburg. And, um, you know, going and helping dad and just taking, like I said, pictures off of tables, water and sweet tea. I had a towel. I'd wipe, wipe down, you know, from all the condensation. So <laughs> then, I, and I remember just being an absolute, just, I remember all the all the other customers just looking and, you know, maybe it was 10, 12, I don't remember, but. Sure. Um, so I, I definitely know the feeling. And so. Yeah. So, I, you know, as, as I progressed through that, you know, that life, I, I eventually became a, um, a busboy. And so, um, well, actually my dad had hired me as a dishwasher. Okay. And so I really wanted to do a great job. And so as a dishwasher is a tough position to fill in the restaurant business. It, you know, anybody that's ever done it and, and done the job knows that it's probably the most important spot in the restaurant. Um, and, need, and underappreciated. Underappreciated. And, and, and just not hard work, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's work that's repetitive and it's not too mind challenging. And so you need a certain type of person. So I, I, I all I wanted to do was be a busboy because I want you know, I didn't want to go to school smelling like the, um, you know, the dishwashing machine sure. <laughs> every day. And so all I want, you know, so I would work really, really hard to, you know, do my best to be the best dishwasher I could possibly be. And what I found is that they wouldn't move me up because they, they <coughs> liked me as a dishwasher so much. Sure. You know, I was 15, 14, or I think I was 15 at the time. Nice. And uh, so all I wanted to do was be a busboy. And so finally I got to be a busboy. And, um, you know, in a bus a busboy job, you, you get to dress a little bit nicer. You know, you, you get cash tips at the time. Sure. And so there was a lot of advantages to, to that. And so um, I did that so well that they ended up calling me Lightning Luke. <laughs> um, which was kind of an interesting thing, yeah. So I, I, I like being called Lightning Luke at that age, but uh, 
But I, I've done it all. I, you know, I've done it all in the restaurant business. And, and I always say that, you know, growing up in the restaurant business, you learn to value and appreciate the employees that you work with. And I think that's one of the most critical things that I've taken with me over the years is just sure. being able to value employees and have the respect of, you know, being able to sit down and talk to them one-on-one -on -one and look them in the eye and say, I understand your struggles and what can we do to be better? And, you know, that <clears throat> type of servant leadership uh, today is is critically important. It, we don't live in the same environment that we lived in, you know, t even 20 years ago. Uh, the the workforce has changed dramatically, and um, and being able to appreciate people and their work and um, and empathize and sympathize with what they what they have um, is is a valuable tool. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree. So. Grew up in the restaurants. You're in Cleveland. Uh, you, that where you grew up the majority of your childhood. Yeah, uh, yeah. Grew up in Cleveland. Um, uh, went to uh, Catholic uh, high school, and um, and so uh, you know, primarily uh, you know, living that you know suburban quasi Italian um, uh, you know life, and um, and you know, eventually um, you know, pretty much worked in restaurants uh, my whole high school career and sure. then um when i went to college same thing i you know my my parents were very uh interested in making sure that i knew the value of a dollar uh, so um they you know i had to work my way through uh, college and I, I think there was some value to that but i worked in a hotel and was a line cook and and all that kind of stuff and so um so yeah, it, it, you know, I've I, like I always say, like I've done it all in the restaurant business. Like, I was a valet, I was a waiter, I was a busboy, I was a dishwasher, um, and you know, I think that I've I, I really enjoyed and really kind of gravitated at that time to cooking and culinary arts. Nice, and, and partially because my father was always the manager, you know, was always a, a manager, and you know, at, at that time I think he was a, a VP or something, but. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't want to be out front with him. I wanted to be the guy in the back that was, you know, calling shots and that kind of thing. And nice. so um, just fell in love with cooking and uh, went to culinary school at uh, Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. And at that time, they had a advanced standing program, which was, um, which was really good for me. So I, I managed to uh, knock out their two-year program in a, in a one calendar year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then so you go from Cleveland to Rhode Island? Yeah, yeah, just for a, a quick year in Rhode Island and then, um, you know, and then yeah, back to Cleveland, really, um, essentially to work in restaurants. And at that time, my father had kind of branched out on his own and and um, sort of revitalized a, an area of Cleveland that was uh, known as Playhouse Square. And it was um, kind of a dying theater district. And, um, you know, the, the area needed a, an anchor like that. There were some beautiful... Uh, turn of the century theaters that were, were just you know beautiful, but uh -huh. not a lot of restaurants, not a lot of shops. And at that time, Cleveland was really kind of in its in its lowest period. And so, um, got to work at, at obviously if he opened a restaurant, sure. I was working there. Of course, uh, probably the best deal in town. And yeah. so, um, so I worked for him there. And then uh, he opened up a couple other restaurants that I you know eventually kind of moved up the ladder a little bit with, um, with nice. those. So you just you just worked in the family business for how long? How long were you a part of the? I, I you know as long as I could take it, and I think that one thing that I would tell people with family business is that the the problem and the the challenge is that you know every moment of your day and every moment of your life is centered around the business. You yep. know, I remember clearly 
having Thanksgiving dinner, and all we talked about was the restaurant and the business. Sure. And, and I thought, you know, there's got to be something more than this, right? But at that point, I was already kind of hooked. So I decided that I wanted to see how, you know, chain operations okay. um, worked. And sure. so I took a job with uh, Morton's. Um, of Chicago and nice. really learned a lot about how they manage all the critical functions and profit drivers of the restaurant business and labor cost and food cost and um, and and all this you know at that time the systems were all kind of pen and paper and um, and they they did things in a very different way you know training was kind of throw you in baptism by fire kind of thing <laughs> and, stuff. Um, and what what years is this like so you started at Morton's at what year so this would be probably ninety two or ninety three okay um, worked for them in their flagship in King of Prussia at the time they had a um, they had an Italian concept called Bertolini's, which w- was all scratch, um, and so they wow. they wanted me to work there, and so I worked at their flagship in in King of Prussia, which is just outside of Philly, and they um, decided that uh, they wanted uh, they had a troubled store here in Charlotte, mm-hmm. um, right at Phillips Place, and so they decided that I would be a great fit for for Charlotte, so moved to Charlotte. And um, just really loved Charlotte, and 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 unfortunately, the restaurant was, you know, kind of at the end of its life cycle. Italian food, I've noticed, in eth- you know, it, there's certain ethnic pockets that are great here in Charlotte, uh-huh. but Italian foods doesn't seem to be one of them. Okay, um, you know, in Cleveland, it, it seems like you can't turn a corner without finding a. A great Italian restaurant with the you know the kind of checkerboard tables and and you know patent leather seats and that kind of thing, but um, here it wasn't really as popular and and um, you know I think there was a lot of little you know Asian pockets and um, and things like that. But in Cleveland, you know Cleveland is a primarily immigrant-driven uh, town, so, yeah. right? So there's you know there's a Polish section and there's a German section and there's Italian section and all Interesting. that. Interesting. Um, and so. Uh, ended up closing. Uh, the, it's a funny story because, uh, and I, I don't know the correlation, but the president of the company came in one day and said, "You know, what are we going to do with this restaurant?" And I, I said, "Look, you know, if you want me to be on." And I, throughout my career, I've always kind of had this problem with being too honest, and so I said, "You know, honestly, I'd, I'd close it. I mean, it's you know, we can keep trying, but we're all, we're 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 past the peak." Of what we're ever going to be, and, and how, how long were you at the store before, like you maybe? I was there probably a year and a half, and then you just realized that you were trying everything you could, yeah, to just to just you know yeah. get get it going, increase sales week to week, month to month, and yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it was a, a a chain restaurant, so you know, we were really good at at all the scratch cooking. We made our own pasta, we made our own gelato, we made everything in house. Wow, um, and and the the restaurant was good. Um, but at the time, this uh, the president of the company, John Betton, was a great guy, re- really one of these people, seminal figures in my life, um, yeah. had a guy uh, named James West, and, and he's really been a, a, an absolute mentor of mine over the years, and, and a guy, an old Friday's guy, and if you know anything about Friday's, it's like... It's like working for a cult, you know. I mean, those people are just—they—they they are just dyed in the wool, um, old-time restaurant people, and and it's really—it's uh, really something to to be a part of that. But, uh, um, but worked for him for a while, and and so I just said, look, I you know I'd close it, and of course, yep. next thing I know, they're they're closing that restaurant. So what? So you go from Chicago to Philly to Charlotte. You're here for a year and a half. Trying to revitalize the store, yep. it's not happening. 
you know, it's so the the president takes your suggestion. Yep, closed it and sold it to Upstream. It became Upstream. Okay. And then, um, so by now, I was hooked on the fact that you know we didn't have these eight month winters and gray skies and you know cleaning off That's your true. car and all that stuff. So I said, well, I, I got to stay in the South because this is great. And um, that's when I got a job with uh, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Okay. Worked for Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, opened their Charleston location. Which how did you, how did you make that connection? Did you did you know? Did you have? Um, let me think. I, you know, I forget how I made the. Con- oh, it was a it was a recruiter. Okay. At, the, at that time, it was. Um, yeah, it was a recruiter that, you know, I, I think we called each other or something. <laughs> it's like a payphone. Sure. You know? yeah, I don't think it was quite payphone time, but, um, but yeah, I was a recruiter and they, they hired me. And, um, and so we had one of the smoothest openings that we had ever had, um, nice. with Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. And so. And what year is this? So uh, this Charleston location? Would probably be 95, I think. Okay. Maybe so middle nineties, you've been, you've been working, you know, yep. working for the, for mom and pop. Yep. Dad, yep. now you've got some corporate experience, sure. kind of seeing how that's, so and now you're opening stores. Yeah, wh- yeah, working for them was great, and at the time, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company had had a, a very interesting sort of backstory. They um, used to run a, a bunch of restaurants that were very old style, you know, pewter plates again, and 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 those restaurants were on their sort of on their way out, and so. They really had no choice but to try to reinvent themselves, and and um, the movie had come out, and so uh, the story goes that uh, one of the one of the core members of the of the Rusty Pelican was the was the restaurant chain uh, in California said, you know, why don't we do a Bubba Gump night, Bubba Gump Shrimp night? And so they called uh, Paramount Pictures and said, hey, we really want to do this. And Paramount Pictures you know, thought about it for a week and called back and said, not a problem, just you know. Write us out a check for ten thousand dollars and you can do it. And and they were like, well, you, you don't understand. Ten thousand dollars for one night in the restaurant business isn't gonna, you know, isn't also, gonna work. So it was just a one night thing. It was a one night thing. They were so, just they were just trying to drum up some business because they were a seafood restaurant and they thought, well, we can, you know, we can play off of this this shrimp thing and, okay. and we can make it work and do yeah. some of the stuff that they, you know that they had heard about on the sh- on the on the um, movie. And, yeah. And they said ten thousand. And so and. So they said, "Yeah, thanks. It's not that's not going to work." Um, but for some reason, and and as the story goes, the the lore of it, uh, the secretary for the president of the company got a great idea and said, "You know, why don't you just build a restaurant around Bubba about around the movie?" And uh-huh. everybody and nobody had ever thought. I mean, that was you know in those days there was nobody had thought of anything even or remotely done that like before. That. Probably never right? had been done. Right? Yeah. It, it was the days when like. You know, Rainforest Cafe was popping up, and you know, so there was a little bit of that kind of show business okay. a- attached to Entert- it. Entertaining, mm-hmm. dining. Yeah, but but it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't you know it true to it, born to life yet. So um, so the president said, "Yeah, great." I mean, like he's got nothing to lose at this point, right? The the movie's already in the you know done and it's out, and you know, so there's no next step for it anyway. So okay. they figured, well. Um, let's just bring in uh, the three biggest seafood names, or let's bring in the biggest seafood companies that we can. So, of course, Red Lobster was one of them, and Landry's was the other one. And then they said, well, let's just you know throw Rusty Pelican a bone because it was kind of their idea. And so okay. um, let's set them up with it. And so... Rusty Pelican at this point was, you know, definitely on the downside, right? It was it was that old style restaurant that just didn't have a, 
there was no next for it. Yeah. Um, but they had prime real estate. I mean, just beautiful, wonderful locations. Uh, one in San Francisco right on the pier that was just absolutely, you know, breathtaking. Sure. Um, and so they went all out and they built a shrimp shack and they – um, you know, came up with the the license plate. I don't know if you've ever eaten there, but the I license have. plates are cool. And and the one in Gatlinburg, I've eaten at. Okay, yeah. So the license plates say "Run Forest Run" or "Stop Forest Stop" or yeah, something. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. how you got the attention of your server. Sure. Uh, which is brilliant, you know, because of the movie. It, you know, crosses over with the movie and all that business. But um, so and they that's went. On, that, that's on the on the table. It's on the table. Right? Yeah. It's, so on it's on a the license plate on the table. You know, for you guys kind of yeah. listening or, or, yeah. or watching. Yeah. Or if you want the waiter, you yeah. would put the the one that says the red one that says stop for a stop. And yeah. so, you know, everybody in the restaurant would just be keyed up <laughs> on finding the red one you because know, that was our thing. Like as soon as we saw the red thing, yeah. like there would be five servers. It didn't matter awesome. whose table it was. Um, and so they came up with all that kind of, that kind of stuff. And and okay. working with that staff of very very creative people and very very smart people. Okay. Um, was a, a, a great help to my career. And, and um, I, I'll never forget uh, working with, with those folks because they were very, I don't know, high gestalt people, you know, just really high standards. And for a restaurant That's that awesome. makes fried shrimp, and, you know, I mean, you wouldn't think that. But, mm. you know, we were hand-breading and, um, and hand-deveining and, you know, doing things that, that normally you, you, you wouldn't do. Sure. Um, and I don't think they do to this day. But... Now, because things have changed so dramatically, but at the time we, you know, we put everything into it, and so um, it was pretty, uh, pretty fun. So that's so. J- just to recap, there's a seafood restaurant called Rusty Pelican. Mm-hmm. It wasn't doing well. They have this crazy idea to piggyback off the movie. Yeah. Right. The secretary. Okay. They. They. You know. And and not even change the whole concept. Just one night. Right. To have a Bubba Gump night. Bubba Gump shrimp night. That was their idea. And like. Right. Ooh, just yeah. to drum up some business, and so. You know, I think this is cool because businesses may have to take an evolution, may yeah. have to pivot. And so the secretary says, I mean, like this this story is insane. Yeah. The secretary says, why don't you open up a whole new restaurant? They bring in the top dogs. I think the Rusty Pelican a- ends up getting the deal. Yeah, so Rusty Pelican did everything. They built a shrimp shack and they did all these other side-by-things. And it was side at, at that things. first location in uh, Cal- yeah, yeah, in California. Okay. And uh, I believe the first location that they did was it was in San Francisco because okay. they knew it was touristy and they thought that. Sure, it makes sense. And, yeah, and so they were hoping to do, I think, $2 million or $2.5 million, and mm-hmm. they ended up doing like 6 the first year. Wow. And that's when they knew that they were they had you know stumbled upon this something. This is it. And it, and it's true what you say is that, you know, being – you may have the greatest idea and the greatest concept. And, you, you know, you talk to people that want to be in the restaurant business all the time and they've got, you know, grandma's meatball recipe or whatever. <laughs> and they think this is going to be the thing. 100%. And, you know, it happens all the time. And, and the reality is far different because y- you need to find that niche <laughs> that will bring them in. And then once you get them in – You've really got to blow their doors off with food quality and service quality and cleanliness and all the things that that we've you know we've come to expect as as you know standards for restaurants and I think that it's important to to think that way. Sure. Do you remember or do you know when they opened that first one? So I have a feeling that it was in the late. Uh, the movie was in the early '90s, so I think it was. 
I think it was mid '90s or, or very soon after the movie had come out, because there would be no reason to do a Bubba Gump Shrimp Night if the movie wasn't fresh. Of course, yeah, that makes um, sense. And and so I you back off the excitement. Yeah, and I'm not sure what what the date was. I'd have to kind of sure. look it up, but. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was really something else, and I think there's actually still one rusty pelican left. It's in like Santa Barbara or something, but um, it's right on the water, and it, they may have convert, converted it to a Landry's or something else by now. So it's mid '90s. You get recruited to go open up this Bubba Gump in Charleston. Yeah, and you're there for. You know, I was there really for about six or eight months, and and um, the chairman of the board of the company. Um, was a great guy, and, and he and and his son, his son and I had really hit it off just as just as a, a kind of a connection, friend connection, and yeah. and um, he he had this opportunity in Maui to do a restaurant um, right in in Lahaina, which is kind of a, a small little fishing village that turns into a two hundred thousand person tourist attraction wow. every. Um, Every year, but um, so he had an opportunity there, and there was a spot that they wanted, and he felt that an uh, Italian restaurant would be great there, and uh, and so it was a, a brewery too, so it had all the brewery equipment, and at the time they couldn't find a tenant, and so we we took that space and started brewing beers, and beer, and this was well prior to the big craft brew explosion, sure. right? And the last ten years has been absolutely just been insane, yep. right? And I wish I you know had what I had ten years later, but. Um, but we had a, a great system, and we found a brewmaster that lived like up in the <laughs> up in the hills in Maui, and you know he would come down. And it's kind of um, this aging, I don't know, hippie guy that, but you know, just very brilliant. Sci- you know, to be a, a brewer, you have to be a scientist. It's sure. like it's like baking bread. You know, it's it's very much um, so much of this and so much of that, and, and 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 there's not a lot of tinkering. Like in cooking, we you know we kind of tinker around with stuff, and we go, oh yeah, throw a little more salt. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like that in brewing, brewing, but this guy was just fantastic at his job, and I, I tell the story a lot because I remember, you know, I, I always wanted to close the restaurant, just partially because I was one of the owners. So the the chairman of the board said, okay, let's buy this restaurant. We um, we all went in on it together. Sure. Opened it up. Um, you know, took a half million dollars and opened the thing up and and did did whatever we could to to make this burgeoning business go. And we we're kind of at the end of the tourist line. I remember we were like two doors down from Hard Rock Cafe, and so we thought, wow, this is gonna be great. You know, it's yeah. awesome. Um, and started brewing beer, and and we made a pretty good go of it. And I I would love to close that restaurant at night, not only because I was responsible for the people, but at the end of the night when everything's closed and cleaned, and you know I could just pour a beer and and walk home because I lived you know another five hundred yards down the beach, and nice. um, so Maui Maui was quite an experience, and. Uh, and one thing that I would say that I learned most about about doing a business like that is just know everything you can know about the location. Mm. And the state laws are very different from state to state, right? So in Hawaii, it's mandated that if you work uh, 15 hours a week for an employer that you have to be covered with health insurance and, mm. and, and it's half half paid by the employer, employer. Now, the insurance rates were low at the time. I think it was like 120 bucks a person. But... 
you know, if you can imagine, every server, every busboy, everybody, everybody um, gets covered, um, and and in and so there's a lot of burden there, and then and then the cost of electricity, the cost of energy in Hawaii was extremely high. Wow. Um, and so those are things that I didn't, you know, I didn't know about before. Think about, you don't think about yeah. it until you until you're confronted with it, and then it's too late. And so you know, you got a half million dollars invested. Yeah, it makes it really difficult to kind of shift on the fly you know like what do you do for power if you know if power is ten thousand dollars a month it's it makes Ooh. it hard um so we struggled a lot with that but we we made a good go of it and and we were you know in the um two to two and a half million dollar a year range and and you know sort of building on it and and really what we found was that the locals were really supportive of it and in, in hawaii if the locals support you then Everybody works in the tourism tourism industry, so they're all touching tourists all day long, and so um, they send people Your way. our way. And, nice. uh, and and so the, everything was going great, and then we opened up an, another restaurant that was called actually called Lucarelli's, and they, they just it, just because they were, it was an Italian place, and they wanted to use my name, and I thought, well, that's kind of you know, <laughs> that's kind of opportunist. But then they showed me the sign, and I was like, oh yeah, I kind of like that. That's a, <laughs> that's a cool sign. Yeah. It was like a neon, and they said my name, and I yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, you were digging it. You're yeah, like, I was in <laughs> it. Um, and so everything's kind of going well, and then 9/11 hit, mm. and. After 9-11, most people don't recall this, but I think people in Hawaii would remember it, especially people in Maui would remember it. Um, You know, the flights were all shut down. So right after 9-11, anybody that was on the island couldn't leave, essentially. Stayed there. Yeah. And so then they kind of shut down these long-range flights, and then everything pretty much contracted in terms of, you know, the the tourism business. And in Hawaii, it's kind of like... Honolulu fills up first, and, and then the outer islands collect um, everything after that. And and so, um, so it took a very long time. I, I remember, you know, going from like forty thousand a week in sales to down to fifteen. Oh my gosh! Um, and so overnight, we, just like that. Yeah, just overnight, and it was and it was brutal, and it was sad, and it was difficult, and you know. It, if you've ever closed a restaurant before, it, it, or you know, you build a camaraderie with people. And one thing that's true about the restaurant business, I think, more than anything else, is there's there's these sets of of comrades that you work with and people that you know, especially in on, in line cooks, because you know, we get all these tickets and we're all working together, and it's it's a great synergy and a great team. And 100%. and 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 it's one of those things that I think most people and younger people don't get is that you know i think everybody wants to kind of have an idea of what they what they want in their life um but that camaraderie is is something that's very special i think it's very unique to have um friends like that 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 you know you can count on and and you know of course it's a family it is a family and of course in the restaurant business after work everybody kind of goes out together and sure um, and hangs out, and so uh, that was something that I, I was hooked on that from a very early age because sure. I just loved line cooking that way. But uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of where that went. So yeah, so I'm I'm assuming you guys had to close down. Yeah, we had to close the restaurant down um, because both of them, the Lucarellis and y- the yeah yeah, one would not really be able to function without the other. It was gotcha. the the one in in Honolulu was more the Lucarellis was more of a um, you know, kind of a, a, a smaller, fast, casual type of, of gotcha. arrangement. But um, 
Yeah, so we shut it down, and um, it was sad. And, and, and you know, say goodbye to the staff and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but you know, it's a learning process. It's sure. one of those things that you you know you just learn a lot. And I've always said this to anybody who's considering getting into business. You know, when you're considering getting into business, it's a it's a beautiful, wonderful, happy, joyous time, and everybody's sure. going to be rich, and everything's going to be great. Sure. Um, but what I tell them is prepare for the divorce. Make sure that when if the worst thing happens and it doesn't go off, make sure that you're protected to understand what the next step would be yeah. when that does happen. Because it, do, it you know, it, it, our business is, is that way, and it, it fails more often than than you would think. And uh, you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but I, I I know if somebody told me, I would I would tell them that it's it's very accurate and. Everybody thinks it's really easy to run a restaurant, and and it, it can be if you know if you have the right you know right set of circumstances. But it can be a very very difficult venture too. And and even in in this scenario, this this was a incident out of your control. Sure. Right. I mean, nine eleven. Nobody wanted it. I remember being a sophomore in high school and remember exactly you know where I was, what happened, and so um, you know you have to be you gotta have some have some plans, even if third, you know external forces you yeah. know you have to be able to pivot and make adjustments um and have kind of the the thick skin that you know hey just because this concept failed you're not a failure the concept yeah. failed yeah right it's fine. yeah and i think that's a really good point is because you can you can get down on yourself that sure. way really easily and sure. I, and i think that uh you know most people when they take a beating like that kind of go oh well never again right yeah. but but the people who have the passion and the people who really have it, you know, stuck in their blood, uh, always rise back and they rise back a little bit stronger. And and you know that's that's kind of the way that uh, the things went for me. But you know, it is a hard time. I mean, it's it's hard because you you know you feel like, especially you have to leave Maui. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, for me, I thankfully I bought some real estate when I got there. But I had I not, I, I would have been in big trouble. But um, I ended up uh, running a dive shop <laughs> for like two years, as long as I possibly could. And, and my, my wife kind of looked at me and went, you know, you're not going to be running this dive shop forever. Yeah, this right? isn't and the plan. Like, this, <laughs> is not, this is not how this is going to go, right? And so um, we moved back. To no, it's a, it's a good point because I feel like, you know, failure, the opposite of success is not failing, it's quitting. Mm -hmm. And you will have failures along the way that you need to learn from and make adjustments and pivot. And just because one store or one concept didn't make it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try again. Now, you know, I mean, get get some coaching, you know, find a mentor, sure. see how you can adjust. But, you know, it's like John Maxwell, I think he's got a book that says, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah. And and that's... And th yeah, that is a very good point because, uh, you know, once burned, you, you, you know, you either fold up and die or you figure out, well, I'm not going to do that again or here's, you know, and, and, and it, it, it's a humbling experience because, sure. especially for chefs, people who are chefs generally think that they're, um, that they've got everything figured out. And, and, you know, as a general rule, they do, but there are so many other variables that you have to factor in that are sure. so much more difficult. And a lot of restaurants are, you know, being in the right place at the right time and sure. then honing your craft from there. And, um, you know, I always tell people to try to be like the iceberg that moves forward two steps and then back one and, you know, just keep pushing Slow forward. progression. Keep, yeah. Keep Slow progression. Back. Have good habits. I'm reading a book right now called Atomic Habits. And the first few chapters, that's what it talks about. It just It's just slow, methodical habits that went, once put in place 
will yield success down the road. It's not one thing that it's just good habits, having good service, being clean, Mm -hmm. being diligent, having a consistent product, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so, um, okay, so so how's the transition happen? So dive shop, a couple of years, your wife looks at you yeah. and says, you gotta, David, we gotta go. this isn't it, okay? Yeah. So, um, any, any kids at this point or no? Not oh, yet. yeah, no, I had my third child in Maui. So, uh, the, you know, these kids now, all they know is, you know, beautiful weather and, oh my. you know, walking down the beach and... Uh, and, and, you know, picking mangoes and papayas off trees. You know, it's just just an entirely life. different life. What a life. Yeah, it really is. It, it's funny because I always tell people, like, you know, you move to Hawaii and the thing that you don't ever do anymore is, like, go to movies. You know, like, you never you never go to a theater because why would you want to be inside or, you know. 100%. That makes sense. You, you know, like, the, our entertainment was always let's go to the beach and, you know, Hang swim out. around. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, surf, yeah. surf whatever, do whatever, you know? yeah. Um, so I, you know, came back to Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. And so this was kind of an interesting thing because the chairman of the board did this project outside of the, of the, of the, of the corporate. Okay. Right? So now I'm kind of in this weird place where it's like, <laughs> where have you been? What's been going guy, on? <laughs> but I'm not a, you know, they knew me because okay. there was a Bubba Gump Shrimp Company actually that was right across the street. But, and interestingly enough, that guy, Chris Pratt, um, was working as a, as a, a waiter there at the time. And so we all knew each other at Bubba Gump, uh, you know, because the the way it works in in Hawaii, especially in Lahaina, is that everybody knows everybody. There's only 20,000 people in the town. So, you know, we're all, you know, trading shifts and back and forth and that kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, so I went back to Bubba Gump Shroom Company and said, look, you know, is there any spot for me? I, you know, I'd like to move back to uh, back to the mainland, sure. thinking there's got to be a spot in California or something. That, and they said, no, uh, we're going to open this new uh, concept um, in Chicago, and it's uh, it was sort of the you know beginning of the, of the quick serve revolution. I remember Panera was was marginally popular at the okay. time; it was just kind of starting. And so this um, is mid two thousands, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And so um, they opened up a, a restaurant that was Italian uh, quick serve. And it was, you know, basically pizzas, pastas, and salads. Okay. Um, each one had a kind of a different station, woodstone oven, and um, and all that. And so they had me do the the food for the concept, and and really kind of birthed that concept along with all of the um, executive staff from Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, okay. who at this point now had grown their empire to the point where they were looking to find some. Uh, subset of of businesses that they could uh, you know that they could uh, grow to the next thing yeah um, and so you know did that for a while how did you feel about going to Chicago after you, you know I loved it I was okay. really excited about it because okay. I, you know I originally was from there and yeah, I, yeah, and, yeah. and my wife actually worked at um, Hard Rock Cafe way back in the uh, not like I say how long ago but it was be- before Hard Rock was a, a household name uh-huh. and so. We were excited about Chicago. We had some family that lived there, and, okay. and so it was great. Um, my kids got there, and I, I remember dramatically they were so excited to go play in the snow that, you know, we bundled them up, and we got them all ready, and they went in Chicago. The snow is like, you know, three feet tall, and three feet high, and they're out there, and we open the door, and they run out, and... The, they weren't out there for five minutes before they were like, we, you know, I got tired of it. We don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> this, is not, this is not for us. Yeah, this no thing. It's not good. Coming from coming from Hawaii to Chicago yeah, now, it's like, it okay. wasn't was not happening. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, my wife said, well, we really liked Charlotte. And Charlotte was great. Why don't we go back to Charlotte? And I said, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll look. But it's kind of hard from Chicago to Charlotte. Um, managed to find a job in Charleston. Um, worked in Charleston for uh, for a while. And, uh, you know, so kind of back to Charleston type okay. of thing. And um, uh, worked for a company down there that the that you know was 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 good good experience and and then um, uh, got a job offer in uh, in Charlotte back in, in Charlotte at the uh, um, Quaker Steak and Lube which was opened right um, what used to be. I, don't know, I forget, but it used to be Speedway Boulevard, but now I think it's Bruton Smith. Bruton, but, yep, yeah, yep, so, not exactly where that's at. Yeah, so they had a, a um, Quaker Steak and Lube was a, a basically a, a, a chicken wing restaurant out of Sharon, Pennsylvania. And when we were in, when I was in college, we used to go there all the time. And um, and so chicken wings back when I was in college were not like they are now sure. ubiquitous, right? Um, sure. But so um, I was familiar with the concept, and it was a you know. Th- Automotive uh, oriented concept, and I thought, well, Spin off it's got to be great in Concord, right? Because the Speedway's right here. Yep. So it's be awesome. NASCAR, the whole thing. I mean, yeah. literally, the the uh, the Speedway's down the street. Right down the street. Yeah. yeah. So we would do these Wednesday um, bike nights, and we'd get all these, you know, thousand bikes, and and you know, motorcycle people love to show off their bikes, and um, we would have bands, and you know, it was just okay. a great great Wednesday party, and and uh, and I really enjoyed that, and so um, we expanded that brand uh, to Tennessee and then to another restaurant another location here in Charlotte and how um, many stores did did you guys have I was uh, over three of them at the time okay and the whole company had more in other the, areas? yeah I think at the time there was about 15 locations there's okay. still quite a few of them okay um, they've struggled with the concept that you know wings used to be kind of the byproduct and were really cheap <laughs> and wings are not cheap anymore so um, I think they've struggled a little bit with that, but it, it, they're still a good restaurant. The one in Sharon is just, a, I think if anybody ever gets to Sharon, PA, it's worth checking out. There's this thing that used to be called Three by the Sea, I believe. But anyway, there's three restaurants. The one that really kind of made it was Quaker Steak and Lube, and it was okay. you know, it was just a playoff of the Quaker State name, and, and um, they served a lot of wings and, and nice. beer, and so it was great. Um but yeah, I worked for them uh, for a while, and then started uh, their business. Kind of changed into uh, sort of a resort management thing, and um, so I would go and and uh, manage these resorts that were in receivership, which was a really interesting job, right? Okay. So the bank would say, "Look, this resort didn't make it. Let's send in the management team just to keep the fires burning because sure. you know we want to sell it, but you know there's kind of." A lot of um, legal things that had happened and, and all that stuff. So um, I would go and, and I remember uh, one place in Minnesota, particularly a golf course in Minnesota. It was a, a craziest thing. I mean, because the golf season's not very long. Well, I was going to say yeah. it's a <laughs> short little season there. Yeah, yeah it's not long. Handful before. of months. Yeah. yeah. And, and but these people in Minnesota and and this is in a place called Millax, uh, which is. Even north, I think it's an hour and a half or two hours north of uh, Minneapolis, and so it's nor it's cold, and yeah. it, and um, and so they owned a bunch of properties that were um, you know rental houses and and you know that kind of it was that kind of resort, and so there was that to manage. But uh, um, the people of Minnesota, I can I, I tell people this all the time: the the people of Minnesota that live in that area are the nicest, the most friendly people nice. you've ever met, and it was it was really kind of an interesting experience. 
Um, so that turned into managing um, water park. I managed a water park for a while that had a 375-room hotel attached to it, which was a, an absolute wow. experience. Um, and so, you know, I, I think throughout your, my career, what started off as, gosh, I really love being a line cook and really love food um, and love being a chef and all that turns into a bunch of different things that you sure. wouldn't necessarily expect. And I, I think it's important to keep your eyes open when you're, when you're in your, your career and, and do what you love and love what you do. And if you, you know, if you do that, then I, I think everything's going to kind of work itself out and it may not seem like it at the time, but eventually it does work out. Nice. So, um, I guess let's just do some, some final wrap up thoughts. I mean, sure. what are your, you know, any suggestions to, you know, anybody out there that, you know, maybe is um, new to the industry, you know, maybe would like to own a business or a food truck or a catering company or any business for that matter, landscape, you know, dry cleaners. Yeah. Is there, I mean, what, from your experience, all your, you know, what, I mean, I know, I know we've said a lot of things, you know, I know we've dropped the word mentorship. We dropped the word due diligence on sure. doing your homework before you open up a business in a certain city or state or whatever. And so, sure. um, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, it, you know, my experience with Sabor has been interesting in that, you know, we we really try to offer a pathway to some type of success and some type of a career. Sure. You know, it, it it's one thing to hire people that are 18 or 19 years old and put them in a cashier job and, and they make their money and then they go home. But offering the opportunity or at least the the pathway for something different and to provide that opportunity in such a way that it's merit based and it's you know instructional and all that to me is is one of the greatest joys that i have in our business it's it's easy to find people to work it's rare to find people that you kind of go oh yeah this person has it once you find that person you have to have an opportunity for them 100%. and you have to coach them and you have to mentor them and if ever in your life you've ever been mentored or coached or had some kind of impactful experience from some other human being, draw from that strength and draw from that experience because that is the thing that binds us all together. And it gives everybody the, the, the leg up and the next chance to get to the next thing, which gets you to the next thing. And, and I, I can't stress that enough. I, the workforce is so much different today than it was before. I, yeah. Uh, um, you know, being a, a, in a position of, uh, you know, trying to attract and hire great people and explain what hospitality is and, um, you know, get them to understand that people are have choices and, you know, they make choices based on a number of different variables. But, sure. but that type of mentorship and that type of um, you can, you know, can do attitude is, is, is just critically important to, to me. And, and I, I love that part of it. I love nothing more than seeing my, uh, seeing employees that we hire to turn into something, um, you know, that's far more successful than they had originally hoped for. Absolutely. Well, David, it's awesome. It was a pleasure. Awesome having you on as a guest. And so, you know, episode seven in the books, um, I think this was good. I think this was really awesome. You have such, I mean, which is why I even wanted you on the podcast is your story Every, just places you've worked, things you've learned, experiences, uh, locations. I mean, you know, I think people can draw from that and learn and apply it into their life. And so 
Um, anyway, super excited about uh, this podcast. Good luck to you, you know, Thanks. with, with Sabor and and everything that you guys are, are doing and touching. You guys are definitely a, a heavy hitter here in Charlotte, and uh, it sounds like you know expanding in the surrounding areas. And so. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, 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 thanks for having me. I, I really think that you know, with regard to Sabor, we you know our goal is to to provide something that the others aren't, and you know that Latin street food experience is real, and and it, it's a nice blend of culinary and and quick serve restaurant, and I think it uh, it's pretty powerful. So awesome. Well, appreciate you guys. You know, you guys. Uh, you know, check out uh, David and Sabor. You know, try out one of his uh, one of his locations. And so, you know, appreciate you guys listening. And uh, if you guys haven't already, you know, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on our podcast. To do that, give us a comment, like us, share with some some friends that you think would enjoy, you know, business ownership and entrepreneurship in the food service industry. And so, um, anyway, with that, it's a wrap. Thank you so much. Okay.